Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Uh, Jason Moore, welcome back to the Dream Path Duocast. Yes, the uh, number two Corona cast. Yes, Jason, it's it's good to connect with you again, even though we are uh, not able to see each other face to face. It's nice to have this technology to, uh, you know, to, just to kind of recap our week and talk about what to expect next. So, Jason, what did you think of the David Frangioni episode? It's uh, probably my favorite one of 2020 so far. He uh, touched on subjects that, you know, of course, I geek out on all the, all the time. Uh, you'd asked him about MIDI. I've been into MIDI for probably 10 years. It's pretty cool technology and just talking about the recording industry and how it's changed and the record industry and how it's changed. That's right up my alley. That's stuff that I'm into all the time and listening to and hearing people talk about technical stuff. Not only that, I watched some of the videos of uh, David Frangioni and that guy is an incredible drummer. I don't know if you've seen any of his drumming, but holy crap. Oh, he's a, he's a, he's a total badass. Yeah. I see him. I see him drumming on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I was blown away. Yeah. I listened to, or I, I watched David play drums on a few YouTube videos and some Instagram posts and, and you realize very quickly that this guy is uh, preeminent in uh, the uh, field of drumming, rock and jazz drumming. The guy's just a total badass. Oh yeah. But to, uh, to also hear him, I mean, you know, the, the, uh, incredible depth of his career, it just goes, it, it's deep and it's wide in terms of the, the different fields that he has kind of mastered. You know, you talk about music technology and also the development of musical careers Yeah, and, and the, the people, the caliber of musicians that he works with and the endorsements on his website from Ozzy Osbourne to Steven Tyler to Brian Adams and Kiss, you know, Paul Stanley of Kiss, all of these icons, musical icons, you know, saying David is the best. Oh yeah. And, uh, to be that beloved by people like that means a lot. I, to me anyway. Uh, so I have, I have a lot of respect for David in terms of what he's accomplished and also the lessons that he taught us uh, during that interview about trying to, instead of being basically like a fanboy, when you meet these people, you earn their respect and you become their peer. Right. And that's really what it's all about in terms of relationships in the business. You know, anybody can go up and get a selfie with, um, you know, a rock star at some point. And, <laughs> you know, that really is kind of a meaningless thing. But if you can become someone's peer, and be respected by them and be an integral part of the recording process and the creative process, then that is really the achievement that I think counts in the music business. And that's what David has done. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I had a good time talking to David. I was a little intimidated going in because his career is so out there in terms of what I'm familiar with. I, I don't know anything about music technology, nothing about MIDI just the, the path that he took is pretty foreign to me, but he was so generous in the way that he described it. And also it was, it's pretty remarkable how it all unfolded at such an early age, starting at the age of two, mm. where he's banging on pots and pans 
and his parents are like, we got to get this kid a drum set. And then when he's four or five, he's got a drum set. And then by the time he's 12, he's actually, he's gigging, right? He's out there in bars, you know, gigging. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> here he is uh, now the publisher of modern drummer magazine, author of three books and a fourth one coming out a biography about his life and just such an uh, array of accomplishments. Um, I just feel like it's a privilege to talk to people like David. Oh, in the fact that he overcame cancer at the age of two. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, and pushed through and, and here he is today. It was meant to be. It, it's incredible. Yeah. It really is a, a harrowing story. And also to go through the music business like he has starting at such an early age and to never touch a drop of alcohol or take a drug to be that clear-minded and that focused mm. for such a prolonged period of time. I think what that says about him is that he just was focused on the task at hand. And the task is to become the best that he can possibly be in all of these fields that he chose, music technology and drumming, performance, musical performance, uh, career development, studios, building professional recording studios, custom-built studios for for musicians and recording artists, sound design, you know, he sort of mastered all of these things. He's kind of a polymath that way, but it was, uh, it was really cool to add that interview to our, our quiver, so to speak, because he, I think he has contributed something to the mix that we haven't heard before a perspective. We really haven't heard before from our other guests. Absolutely. How's your social distancing going, Jason? Well, um, you know, I feel like I'm doing my part for the most part. I, um, try to go out less. And when I do, I try to respect people's space and distance. I'm noticing not as many people doing that or wearing masks as much as they should be. I'm kind of guilty of that too. I don't always wear one. We've had some local politicians as well as federal politicians that are encouraging people to go back to normal, which is weird. I, I don't think that's what we should be doing right now. But yeah, I, I'm doing okay with it. I'm, I'm, like I said, I've always been kind of a social distancer. So being able to stay home, that <laughs> you know, I get more get more work done, get more stuff done around the house. Yeah, it's strange to go to the grocery store and see like less than half of the people there doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know, what the doctors and scientists are, are telling them to do, and uh, you know, people not wearing masks, people not staying more than six feet apart. Yep. And seeming to, you know, kind of live their life as if there is no global pandemic happening. It's a really bizarre reality that we're in where people are living kind of in their own realities. It kind of seems that way, doesn't it? And uh, their, their, their realities are sometimes completely opposite of, you know, what our reality is. But, uh, and that's a little disturbing because I, th I think if we're going to flatten the curve, we kind of all have to be on the same page. And, um, you know, the town that we happen to be in right now is, I guess, the worst city in the entire state of Washington in terms of infection rate. So, you know, we're, we're not flattening the curve. We're kind of doing the opposite of that. But anyway, we're, uh, we're doing all we can do ourselves. And I know that eventually this thing's going to die out. We just have to, you know, have patience and try to do our best. I think that's all we can do really. And, uh, continue to encourage our loved ones to do the same. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I was, uh, texting with you, uh, earlier this week and I, I sent this random text message and I think it was something like, do you remember seeing company seven come to your school? 
as an elementary school student. Oh yeah. You're like, what is company seven? And, um, and I, I just have not stopped thinking about this memory I have from elementary school. It's a question that, um, I wanted to explore on our duo cast because with all of this time on our hands, and uh, a lot of uh, self-reflection, a lot of thinking back on on childhood, because you know I'm I'm isolating and I'm not connecting with people, so I'm really kind of going inward these days. I, I've been thinking about this uh, company that would come to our grade school, you know, kind of on the arts topic here, and they were called Company Seven, and they um, they were all about art and music, and so we would um, be encouraged to paint and act and do charades and all kinds of artsy things. But then they did something that was quite jarring. Um, They actually had a list of people that after they worked with the kids in the school, they they created a list of people that qualified to, to leave school once per week and go to company seven for a full, I think it was like a full day. So you you basically miss an entire day of school, which was like the coolest thing. If you got picked, it was like, you know, casting a play or something like that. You know, you, you're almost like a tryout. Right. And I didn't get picked. So I was not on the, I was not, I was not on the list. Oh man. And, and I think that's probably why I'm, I'm still thinking about it. (laughs) If I had been picked, I probably wouldn't even been, you know, thinking back on this memory, but it was a little bit traumatic for me to, to want to be part of something and then just have a select few, you know, kind of the chosen ones uh, get to take part in that, you know, that arts endeavor. But did you have any experiences like that in, in grade school where they brought in outside people to kind of work with kids on on arts issues or music? Yeah, I don't remember anything like that at all. That sounds like something that would just crush me. I was really into music as a kid and art, and I would have really loved that. But I do remember what when we got talking about this, I remember in junior high school, it wasn't really some pe- people coming in to work with the kids individually, but they would have these rock bands play. Uh, I think it was sponsored by MAD, which was Mothers Against Drunk Driving. What it was was these bands would come play and they would play all the really hot rock songs that were out at that time and a lot of energy and getting the crowd going. And then they would hit you with the, it's not cool to do drugs, stay in school message. And it was really, it was kind of it was kind of a, you know, from the heart, from them, I'm sure that they, you know, as part of that organization, that's what they were trying to encourage. But I know there were a lot of kids that, you know, when they would do that, would kind of snicker and be like, you know, let's uh, let's meet after school and smoke a bowl. <laughs> I was not, not at that time. I was not at that. I, I didn't do that sort of stuff. But I do remember the stoner kids kind of going, Psh, okay. Yeah. But the bands were actually pretty good. It's funny the the experiences that we have in grade school and junior high in terms of arts and and how hard they push that to the kids and the effect that it has on us and the memories it leaves us with. I firmly believe that we need to be really creating a lot more space for music and art in uh, grade school and junior high and even high school. Oh yeah. Uh, because it's, it seems like we're really neglecting that part of ourselves just culturally anyway. And uh, you know, when you're a child, it can be a magical time where you're sort of cultivating that aspect of a, of a child's brain. And uh, it's just a shame, you know, it's a shame that we don't see that happening more often. And it's a shame, frankly, Jason, that I got rejected by company seven and I'm never going to forget it. <laughs> you're still crushed. <laughs> I am. I'm very bitter about it. It's you still probably tell. 
I can tell. It's eating at me. It's eating at me, man. Well, you know what, Brian? Screw those guys. Hey, and, and by the way, if there's any listeners out there who've ever had a Company 7 experience in grade school or something like it, send me an email or um, shoot me a text and, uh, and let me know and I'll read your, your experience on the, on the air. <laughs> uh, but I'd, I'd love to hear from you because I don't think I've talked to that many people that even remember what Company 7 was and how they uh, integrated into our schools. So, um, so what are you doing, Jason, in terms of, um, you know, what you're listening to or watching on TV or reading? Well, let's see. I, um, I binge watched uh, a bunch of documentaries that I think I've talked about before. I watched, um, the wrecking crew. I don't know if I ever told you about that one. It seems like I talked about it here on the podcast, but, um, I don't think so. The wrecking crew was, a, a probably about 20 to 30 musicians in LA, that pretty much cut all the records between 1964 and 1970. They did, um, the birds records, Sonny and Cher records, uh, beach boys, you know, believe it or not, there were studio musicians doing all this stuff. And then they would kind of build bands around stuff. You know, they would record the music and then have vocalists that they wanted to sing and then would form a band around it. Like the monkeys. Those were the guys that did all of those records in LA. I also, um, watched one called muscle shoals which is about a recording studio in, I th- want to say Alabama. In fact, yeah, I think Leonard Skinner talks about it in Sweet Home Alabama. Um, they did all these soul records for these black musicians like Wilson Pickett, like a group of like four or five white teenage boys were playing all of these funky black records from the 1960s. So that one was really cool to watch. It's just interesting. You know, you don't know, you don't quite think of stuff like that you listen to these songs on the radio and they're from the sixties and it's Wilson Pickett and it sounds just as funky and black as, as it can be. And you come to find out it's uh, like a 20 year old white kid from Alabama. That's just got it down on his guitar or got it down on the drums or whatever. You just wouldn't expect it. Well, that's interesting that you're watching the muscle shoals uh, documentary because there's a TV series. If you remember back on the Bettina Gillois episode, mm-hmm. Um, Big Tina is the screenwriter that I interviewed in Los Angeles and she, she wrote the screenplay for McFarland USA, but she was also at the time of our interview, she was working with Johnny Depp on a Muscle Shoals TV series. And she was very good friends with Rick Hall's wife and Rick Hall is the, you know, the Muscle Shoals owner, the, the studio. Yeah. Kind of the founder. Yep. So, so Bettina really got to know Rick it may have even been good friends with Rick before he passed away, but is good friends with um, his wife. I know that if I remember correctly, but um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, mystique and, and mythology around the Muscle Shoals studio and, and obviously a lot of incredible music that came out of that studio. Oh man. But I need to see that documentary. Did you see it on, on Netflix or? Yes, it's on Netflix. Um, pretty sure it's Netflix. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll check it out. What have you been watching? Well, I, I listened to an old interview of John Prine. Oh, yeah. And the reason I did that, you know, is, is John passed away from, from COVID, coronavirus, and he, he was too young. He had struggled with, um, with health issues and had battled cancer, but early 70s is, is too young to go. Oh, totally. And I started deep diving into some of his music and the songs that he wrote that were made famous by other people like the Bonnie Raitt uh, song, mm. Angels from Montgomery. Yep. 
and I, I may be saying the title of the song wrong, but when you hear that that song, you don't immediately think John Prine, but he wrote it. And, uh, you know, Bonnie Raitt made it famous, of course, but yeah, uh, at least that's how I look at the history of the song. But to to listen back on this uh, WTF Mark Marin interview with John Prine, it was really bittersweet to to hear just a couple of years ago. I mean, you've got this guy that is um, in some ways in the prime of his, his musical life. I know he had struggled with health issues, but and then you lose him. And, um, and then you start to really look back on his discography and, and the songs that he wrote and the impact that he made on music history. So um, that was tough, but it was also heartwarming too to hear him in that interview. I've also been watching some series. I've been watching Homeland on Showtime, great acting with Claire Danes. Uh, I'm on season seven now, and I just finished Ozark, and I'm going to start watching Billions when that hits, uh, I think, in May, May or June. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying to catch up on some TV, but it's it's really difficult because I have so much in my queue, yeah, and there's just not enough time in the day or night to watch all this great TV and movies. And I uh, I don't know, but it, it is nice to, to have such a, a great selection. It's sometimes it's just overwhelming. You mentioned John Prine. I, that touched me as well because growing up, my dad was into John Prine. So I've been familiar with John Prine since I was about six or seven. That's about the time that he started playing some of his stuff. And so we're, I'm familiar with quite a few of his songs. And, you know, he's one of those kind of overlooked guys, really, because uh, he was pretty famous and part of the mid 70s and had, had a couple of records that went somewhere. But a lot of people, when they talk about John Prine, well, they hardly ever brought him up until. Bonnie Raitt did that song. So, and yeah, he's had some, he's had a rough road through most of his older years, had cancer and stuff. So that's not good. The coronavirus, it's serious, man. I don't know why people don't, aren't taking it as serious as they should. Well, you, you keep hearing the refrain, oh, it, it only affects the people that have underlying health conditions. And I don't know anybody who doesn't have some type of underlying health condition, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's high blood pressure or diabetes or age or maybe being overweight. Gosh, there's so much that, Mm. you know, so much that we're dealing with already. And uh, you get hit with um, a virus that is not treatable. There's no treatment. There's no cure that we're uh, aware of at this point. And it's it's really sad that we're not taking it more seriously. But, uh, you know, to still lose a legend like John Prine, it really makes it hit home for me, at least as a musician. And um, a music historian in some ways, I, I I don't think I'm that caught up on on folk and and blues and um, that style of music like I should be. But you know, I remember John Prine also from I used to listen to Nancy Griffith, and that's how I found John Prine is on a Nancy Griffith album. Hmm. She sang with him on a song called um, "Speed of the Sound of Loneliness," and uh, it's a song that he wrote and he sang with her, sang harmony with her on that song and. It's beautiful. If you ever get a chance, just look it up on YouTube, Speed of the Sound of Loneliness. I recommend a song called Dear Abby. If you get a chance, listen to John Prine's Dear Abby. Okay. I'll check it out. It's funny. So um, what do we have coming up next, Jason? We have an interesting interview with Nick Cassavetes. Yeah, that was a very intimidating interview for me to book and to actually execute because Nick, he's an intimidating guy physically. I mean, if you just see him on screen, you know, he kind of plays these characters sometimes that are just intimidating on screen. And he, as, as you know, was kind of the evil villain 
in uh, Face Off yes. with Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. And uh, he kind of has this gruff type of vibe. And uh, if you've seen Hangover 2, he's tattooed Joe yeah. in Hangover 2. <laughs> uh, another kind of a gruff character. And so I was like, who is this guy? And how is he going to come off in a uh, podcast interview? And he was just, he was really sweet and, uh, and giving of his time, even though he's uh, in quarantine right now, he's super busy. You know, he's got a family and he's writing and he's got all kinds of projects going on in Hollywood. And he took the time to sit down with me and, and tell me his story about his dad, John Cassavetes, his, his mom, Gina Rollins, a uh, famous actress. And, um, you know, kind of comes from Hollywood royalty or independent film royalty for sure. So it was a, it was a big interview for me and I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing, uh, hearing the final cut and seeing how it comes together. Yeah. It's really funny because when I was, um, <clears throat> doing some of the editing for it, I, uh, decided to take a break, had the TV going in the other room and I went to go get something to drink out of the fridge and turn around. And it's that exact scene on face off where I think it's Dietrich Hassler is his name on the show. And he's this like crime drug drug guy or something, right? Right. And it's the scene where uh, you know they've given given Nicholas Cage some drugs in his drink, and he's talking out of his ass. And Dietrich goes, "No more drugs for that guy." <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of funny to to be editing that episode and walk out, and it's that scene. Yeah, I uh, my only regret with that interview, Jason, is that I was not there in person because of the social distancing issues um, and the virus. I, I could not yeah. be there in person to to talk to him and meet him in person. But you know, maybe we'll do a round two with Nick. You know, once the virus right. dies down and we can travel again. But that certainly was a lot of fun to record, and hopefully, it comes together with a decent sound quality. I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> It's not bad. You always do. We'll talk after the Nick Cassavetes interview. I'm really looking forward to this blowing over so we can get together in person again and do them. Those are a lot more fun. Talking to a computer screen isn't as fun. I agree, Jason. Yeah. You know, we'll uh, manage uh, for as long as we have to with uh, Zoom and Zencaster technology remotely, uh, but it will be really nice to see you face to face again and, um, you know, do this properly the way that we began doing these dual casts, which is in person. Totally. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the dream path podcast. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to your favorite podcast service and give me a rating and review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. I appreciate your time. And as always go find your dream path.